Let's turn together then to the Word of God in Psalm 24. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. It's Agreed, my dear fellow believers, that this is one of the psalms that celebrates the ascension of Christ into heaven. And I think that you can see that too. The question is asked already in verse 3, who shall ascend? And the answer of the psalm is Christ. Christ only. And with him, all those who belong to him. But Christ first. But the question is, the question I want to try and answer for you this evening is why do we celebrate the ascension of Christ? Why is Christ's ascension into heaven so important that they celebrated it even in the Old Testament? as they do here in Psalm 24. None of us would argue about the importance of the cross or the resurrection or the outpouring of the Spirit
But why is the Ascension so important? So important that we celebrate it along with those other great events of our salvation. Why is the Ascension so important that it's celebrated not only in this psalm, but in five other psalms? Celebrated in the Psalms in a way that the resurrection isn't. The resurrection, of course, of Christ is mentioned in the Psalms, but there are six whole Psalms that celebrate the ascension of Christ into heaven. This is one of them. That's the question that I want to try to answer for you this evening. We're going to be looking at different things in the psalm. But that question is answered especially in verse 5. That's part of the psalm's answer to... Those questions of verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? And the psalm says, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. That's one of the ways in which the psalm says that it's only in Christ that we have any hope of ever standing in the presence of God. He's the only one who has clean hands and a pure heart. The only one who never lifted up his soul to vanity or practiced deceit of any kind. And he's the one then, too, who receives the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. But it's at that point that the psalm answers the question, why is the ascension of Christ so important? As important as his death on the cross as important as his resurrection from the dead, as important as the outpouring of his spirit, so important that it is worth celebrating just as we celebrate his death and resurrection and the gift of his spirit. So that's what we're going to be focusing on this evening. But... We have to begin by trying to understand the circumstances in which this psalm was written. And like those other psalms that celebrate the ascension of Christ, it was written on the occasion of David's bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem. He had tried to do that once before 
and had failed. He hadn't followed the rules that God made for moving the ark from one place to another, and the result was that a priest named Uzzah died. And the ark was put in the home of another priest named Obed-Edom for three months until David and the people decided that they would try once again, this time following the rules that God had made for bringing the ark from one place to another. In fact, that failed attempt of David to bring the ark to Jerusalem must have been one of the things that David had in mind when he wrote this psalm. And when he said, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. David had shown in that failed attempt that he didn't have clean hands and a pure heart. But now three months after that failed attempt, following the rules that God had made for moving the ark, he and the people brought the ark to Jerusalem. This time understanding, as they hadn't before, understanding what they were doing and understanding especially that the bringing of the ark to Jerusalem was the great Old Testament picture of Christ's ascension. Nothing in the Old Testament pointed to Christ's ascension as the bringing of the ark to Jerusalem. It was, as the scriptures say in another place, it was God in Christ entering into his rest. After all those years of the wilderness wanderings and after the troubled years that Israel first spent in the land of Canaan. God, in Christ, establishing his throne in Jerusalem as the God of his people and fulfilling the promise that he had made to live with them. And that reference in verse 3 to the hill of the Lord is a reference to the hill or mountain on which the temple was built, Mount Moriah. And the Jews always spoke of going up to the house of the Lord, not because Moriah was such a high hill or mountain, but because God was there 
And it was on that mountain that the temple was built by Solomon after all of this. But that's what they're referring to. That's what David is referring to when he says, who shall stand in his holy place? It's a reference to Mount Moriah to, at this time, it was just a tent that was set up there. And the ark was put in that tent, but it was still God's holy place. And the reference in the psalm is to the fact that it was there that God had promised to dwell among the Israelites as the God of His people, to keep covenant with them, to fulfill the promises that He had made to them. But the question, and David's failure to bring the ark to Jerusalem the first time, underline that. The question was, who is worthy to go to God's dwelling place? Who's fit to worship Him there? Who can stand in His presence there? And David, through that failure to bring the ark to Jerusalem, had seen once again that there is no one, no one at all but God Himself in Christ who can ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in His holy place and that God's people could do that only through Christ. He saw that way back there in the Old Testament. Saw that there wasn't a soul in Israel who was fit, spiritually fit, to go to the temple, to worship God there, to stand in His presence. And that the death of Uzzah the fact that he had failed in his first attempt to bring the ark to Jerusalem just served to emphasize that. We don't know what David's problem was that first time. Maybe he was thinking too much of what the coming of the ark to Jerusalem would mean for him. For his power and majesty as king. Maybe he didn't think the rules God had made were very important, like us, in that. Maybe, maybe David thought he was honoring God 
by putting the ark on a cart drawn by oxen instead of having the Levites carry it as God had commanded. But whatever the case, he had come to see that he himself and with him the whole nation of Israel were sinful and unfit to serve God. Now what does that have to do with, with you and me? Well, you have to understand that in the Old Testament, that hill of the Lord, it's sometimes called a mountain, is always a picture of God's kingdom. God at the center. And his people ruled by him. That's the hill of the Lord for us. In a very real sense of the word, because God promises to be present through Christ in the worship services, when we come to church, then we do the same thing as the Israelites did when they went up to the temple, up Mount Moriah. But it's a reference, too, to that kingdom as it reaches its final glory in heaven. Going up to the hill of the Lord is really in the Bible the same thing as going to heaven. You have a nice example of that in Isaiah 2. There, the hill of the Lord is called a mountain. But you read there, it shall come to pass in the last days, notice that, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah 2. But that's a promise, an Old Testament promise, of heavenly glory for God's people and for the church. So, we go up into the hill of the Lord and up to the house of God whenever in prayer, in worship, we come to God, but ultimately when we go to heaven. And that means that the question who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place, puts us before we are sinners. Always, always sinners. 
and can never, ever, ever of ourselves stand before God. Can't even worship Him. Don't have the right to worship Him. Can't in ourselves because we are not among those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who've never lifted up our souls unto vanity, loved, wanted, sought after the things of this world. Can't say that we've never practiced deceit. Can we? You don't dare say that, do you? But that means, you see, that there isn't one of us who's even fit to be here. I don't have the right to preach the Word, to speak any of God's words to you. And you don't have the right to be here singing, praying, listening to the preaching of the Word. Who shall ascend? Into the hill of the Lord, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitful. It's not you and me, is it? And that's a question that often bothers us as we get older. Who can go to heaven? Or more personally, can I? I don't know how many times when I was your minister, I had to deal with that, with older members of the congregation who in the face of death were struggling with their sins and with the fact that it seemed impossible that they go to heaven at death. By the grace of God, those struggles were resolved before they died. But that's not uncommon. My own mother struggled with that in the months before she died. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, how then is it possible for me to stand in his presence, to worship him, to go to heaven when I die? The answer of the psalm is Christ. Christ ascended. That's not quite what you would expect, is it? You'd almost expect a reference to the crucifixion. 
or maybe to the resurrection of Christ. But the psalm speaks of his ascension. And therefore, too, of the fact that only in Christ descended, only through Christ descended, is it possible for me to worship him? To have any hope of ever standing in the presence of God? And that brings us back where we started this evening. Why is the ascension? So important. Why is it the answer to our doubts, to our struggle with our own uncleanness and impurity and sinfulness? Why are we here? Celebrating the ascension this evening. If I asked you why, why the cross was important, you'd have no trouble answering that question, would you? Even you children would say, that's where Jesus paid for my sins. Paid for the fact that I'm not a man of clean hands and pure heart. If I asked you why the resurrection was important, you would have no problem answering that question. You would tell me at least that I need a living Lord to take care of me, to provide for me, to give me the blessings of salvation, a dead Lord is of no use, no help to me, poor sinner that I am. And there's references in the psalm too, too, especially to Christ's work of redeeming us from our sins. You have in verse 8 that reference to Christ as the Lord mighty in battle. And the references to that, that great spiritual warfare that he waged against the devil and against our sins and against all the powers of darkness and won by dying. He's the Lord, mighty in battle at the cross and in his resurrection too when he put to flight all the powers of death and the grave. You have a reference to 
his redemptive work in verse 5, which speaks of righteousness. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness which comes from the God of my salvation and which was earned for me by Christ crucified and dying. Without that righteousness, I can never stand before God. But what does the ascension have to do with all of that? My sins are paid for. Christ rose again the third day, triumphant over death and the grave. Why is the ascension so important that we celebrate it this evening, that it's an article of our Christian faith. I don't just believe in Christ crucified and risen again the third day, but in Christ ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God. Why is the ascension so important that Six psalms. I'll leave you to find out which ones they are. Why six psalms celebrate from beginning to end. One of them at least, a very long psalm. The ascension of Christ. When the resurrection... Is not mentioned nearly as often in the Psalms. Why? You know? You know why you're here this evening? You know why our churches, many churches don't anymore. But why are churches still celebrate Ascension Day? And why it's as important as Easter or Good Friday or Pentecost? The answer is in verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord righteousness from the God of his salvation. The he, don't make any mistake about that, it's not first of all me or you, but the he is Christ. Not so easy to understand that Christ, the Son of God, went to heaven to receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness. We might ask the question, what need had he of those things? But that's nevertheless what the text is saying. And it says that, of course, especially in reference 
to his human nature. He, as a man, in all things like us except sin, received the blessing of the Lord and righteousness. Received, as Peter says in Acts 2, received the Spirit on His ascension. But, and that's the point of this evening's sermon, received them that he might in turn give them to us all that we need to ascend the hill of the Lord and to stand, stand without fear in the presence of God Himself, and not only stand in His presence, but have have living fellowship and communion with Him as the God of the covenant. You could read the psalm then something like this, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. But that is never, ever me as I am a poor sinner in myself. Nevertheless, I can ascend and do ascend into the hill of the Lord when I worship. And I do believe that I'll go to heaven someday. Maybe you've had a sense of that. We don't, we're so slow of heart that doesn't happen very often. But there are times in the worship of God and maybe you've experienced that where it really does seem as though you are in the presence of Almighty God And have gone up, as it were, to his holy place, far beyond all the cares and troubles and sorrows of our earthly life. Sometimes that comes when we're singing the Psalms. Other times when we're praying in the Spirit. Sometimes when the Word of God gets hold of our hearts and moves us deeply. But that's all the psalm says because Christ received those blessings and gives them to us as our ascended Lord. I can't put it any more simply than this. He had to have them. Had to obtain them. In his human nature. That we who are one bone 
and one flesh with him might have them also in him and through him. You see, that's what the ascension is all about. Maybe I can describe it this way, that it's, it's Christ bringing himself as the sacrifice for our sins and the one who had made complete atonement for our sin into the presence of the judge of heaven and earth. Now, God had approved his sacrifice already in the resurrection. But that, don't know how else to put it, those, those legal papers that declared our justification had to be filed in heaven. And the blood of Christ brought into the presence of God himself before in turn all that depended on his perfect work could be granted us. The resurrection and the cross then, do you see that? They're not complete without the ascension. Christ earned for me an everlasting righteousness by his death on the cross. But I have to have that if I'm to appear even here in the presence of God. And if ever I'm to appear in his presence in heaven. And it's as our ascended Lord that he gives me that righteousness and every other blessing of salvation. In the Heidelberg Catechism, when it asks and answers the question, Lord's Day 18, of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension into heaven, then one of the things that's mentioned in the Catechism is that he sends us his Spirit as an earnest. And that word earnest refers to the fact that through the Spirit we receive everything that belongs to Christ. His Father becomes our Father. His people become our people. His home becomes our home. He gives us all of that as our ascended Lord, and gives us to that wonderful gift of faith by which 
We know those things are ours. Can you imagine what it would be to live here without having received from Christ, ascended, what he himself received when he went to those heavenly places? I would know nothing of my home. Would have no relationship with my heavenly Father. No enjoyment of what it means to be righteous before God. Pours out from heaven upon us all those heavenly graces that were given him when he went to the right hand of his heavenly Father. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? You must. Because only he, only that person, will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. But in Christ... Christ ascended, crucified, raised again the third day, and, and, and ascended. It's worth celebrating, isn't it? Worth being here this evening to be reminded of that. You can, you can almost feel the joy of the Israelites in those last verses of Psalm 10 as the ark came to the gates of Jerusalem. And some of them at least understood what that was all about. It wasn't David, and it wasn't about him but about someone ever, ever so much greater than David. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The one who tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem and failed so miserably the first time? No, no, no. None of us. But the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. David, never, never, nor anyone like him, but the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, and as the King of glory, the one who gives blessing and righteousness to his people. 
That's the way Israel celebrated. That Old Testament picture, and that's all it was, of the ascension of Christ. And you and I ought to join our voices with theirs, only we sing it a little differently, don't we? Not the King of glory shall come in, but the King of glory has come in. But there's that reference to in verse 6. And I want to end with that. That's the other, the practical way, if you will, of celebrating the ascension of Christ and making sure that it is never just words that we recite mindlessly every Lord's Day evening when we confess the ascension of Christ. Never just a doctrine on paper, but a living truth that means as much to us as the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and the gift of His Spirit. You celebrate the ascension, in other words, by seeking His face. Here, in all your trials and difficulties, when the question arises in your own soul, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who am I to stand before Him? And finally, too, when that last day comes that you have to leave this life. Then you seek his face. The face of the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. We sang that Psalm 24 twice already this evening. Psalter number 57. It's a confession of what the ascension of Christ ought to mean to every one of God's people. That man the one who's in Christ. That man ever blessed of Jehovah shall live. The God of salvation shall righteousness give. For this is the people. It is, isn't it, here? No matter how many there are. This is the people. This is the race. The Israel true that are seeking his face. They're singing when you sang those words about yourselves in Christ, ascended. Amen.
Father, bless what has been spoken and heard here this evening. We speak thy word and hear it with so much sin and weakness. But we do believe, Father. Believe in him who is now exalted above every name that is named in the heavenly places and to whom we with body and soul belong forever and in whom we have all things now and forever. Forgive us our sins. Bless us as we go our separate ways. Keep us in perfect peace. For Jesus' sake, amen.